0: Hello and welcome to another segment of our daily devotional. So if you remember our daily devotional, which is our 1st the day segment. And so our verse for today comes from John chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, which says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, whatever well, every branch that does bear fruit prunes." so that it would be even more fruitful. Already clean because of the word I have spoken to you, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So, the analogy that Jesus is using here is the analogy of the vine. (coughs) And it teaches that a vital relationship exists between Christ and the believer. So, if you notice here, Jesus claimed to be the true vine. And it's the first statement. It says, I am the true vine. So this is the last of Jesus' seven I Am statements that you find in the Gospel of John which John used to definitively prove that Jesus is God. We'll talk more about that when we go through the Bible in one year statement we get to that, we get to the section of John where we encounter Jesus' first I-Am statement. So for right now, just understand that John is using this to def- prove that Jesus is God. So the vine imagery is used in the Old Testament as a symbol for Israel. So Jesus as the true vine fulfilled God, filled God's intentions for the nation of Israel that they would be God's agent a representative to all the people of the world which Jesus fulfills completely <clears throat> so we see that God's father is the gardener, right? so that first statement in verse 1 says I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. So it goes on to say here we go so we see that he removes dead fruitless branches and prunes fruitful ones so that they can bear more fruit. So that is verse number two, which says he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. <coughs> Whatever well, branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that will so that it will be even more fruit. So, however, we as believers should not fear that we will be cut off, (coughs) since we are clean already. So that is verse number 3, right? Which says, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me. Oh, excuse me, uh, that started verse 4. Alright? So the reason we should not fear, so why should we not fear, because what God is saying, what Jesus is saying here, is that God is not going to cut us off and destroy us. What he's going to do is going to prune out like a good gardener prunes the dead flowers off from his flowers in the garden. So God is going to do the same thing with us <coughs> so that new growth can grow in there in place of the old dead growth. So finally it says <clears throat> in verse four uh, remain in me as I also remain in you. Your know, branch can bear fruit by itself, yet must remain in the vine. <clears throat> Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So mutual indwelling is the fruitfulness in a believer's life. <clears throat> so you have to stay connected to Jesus who is the true vine <clears throat> to live a fruitful Christian life. Because if you have yourself off from the source of <clears throat> If you've cut yourself off from the vine, you no longer have that power. So you have to be connected to Jesus in order for Jesus to be connected to you. And so today's Bible readings are going to be 1 Samuel 12-13, through 13, John 7-1-30, Psalm 108-1-13, in Proverbs 15 verse 4. So that is the end of segment number one of our daily devotional. We're now going to move into segment number two. is, are through the Bible in one year segment. So we are on today number 132. Again, if you have missed any of our Through the Bible in one year segments, you can catch up with them by visiting upstatechristian.com. <coughs> so our segment, or the what passage we're going to be looking at today is John chapter 6. Verses 1 through 15. So yesterday we finished John chapter 5. And today we are moving into John chapter 6. So the Passover festival looms large in the background throughout John chapter 6. So the Jewish Passover festival commemorated Israel's exodus from Egypt. So the imagery of bread and water and the references to Moses in the chapter suggest that Jesus is greater than Moses and is leaving his people in a new exodus. So this chapter contains four scenes. The first scene that we're going to deal with today is Jesus' feeding of the multitude. Right. So that is the Fourth of Jesus' seven signs. The second scene we're going to encounter in chapter six is Jesus' walking on the water, which is the fifth of Jesus' seven signs. So the third scene we're going to encounter in John chapter six is a lengthy discourse as his response, as Jesus' response the people's request for more demonstrations of power. And the fourth and final scene we encounter are the various responses to Jesus' words. So we're going to be covering the first scene today. So we're going to be in John chapter 6 for four days. And each day we're going to cover one different scene. So, if you remember, the scene we're going to be dealing with today is Jesus' feeding of the multitude. So, we're going to pick up, we're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to go through verse 4, for right now, which says sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the foreshore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberius, and a great crowd of people followed him, because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. So, this scene we're dealing with, the Feeding of the 5,000, made such a deep impression on the early church that it is the only miracle... (coughs) ...excuse me, except for the resurrection that is described in all the four Gospels. So, verse 2, which is the verse that says, "...and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick." is the first reference to large crowds following Jesus. <coughs> so the reference that we have in verse 4 to the Passover is both a chronological and theological marker. So what are we talking about? So verse 4 says the Jewish uh, Passover festival was near. So it was a chronological marker because it tells us what time of year this miracle took place in. And it was a theological marker because it telling us what Jesus is teaching theologically. So the Jewish people so when we're talking about chronological markers, so the Jewish people celebrate and still do celebrate Passover in spring. Time either in March or April. So John mentions three Passovers during Jesus' ministry. The first one is in chapter 2, verse 13. The second one is in today's passage, so that's John 6, verse 4. And the final one is in John chapter 13, verse 1. So the reference to the Passover again brings to mind the image of the exodus from Egypt. In- so as John chapter six unfolds, John depicts Jesus as being greater than Moses, and as leading his people out of the bondage of sin and death. So it's only in this gospel that we see the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberius, which gives us the location this miracle took place in. So this miracle took place in. Galilee. It took place on the shore of Lake Tiberius, as we would call it now, or the Sea of Galilee, as you might also see it, sometimes referred to. So we know that it took place in northern Israel, not down in southern Israel. So by the time, so the reason John called it the Sea of Tiberius, is so that people who were reading this by the time that John wrote it, would know where this miracle took place, because by the time John wrote this gospel, the city of Tiberius was the normal designation of this body of water. So now we're going to pick up in verse 5. And we're going to go through verse 9. Which says, When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. (coughs) Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? So when Jesus saw the crowds approaching, so we're just gonna give a little bit of background before we actually get into how many people going to talk about how many people there were And just a bit, but just so you understand when we say a large crowd. We're probably talking about between, anywhere from between 10,000 and 30,000 people, people here. So, enough people to quite possibly sell the average American baseball stadium or a small hockey arena. That's how many people we're talking about here. So, when Jesus saw this large group of people approaching, he asked Philip where they could buy bread to feed them, right? So he asked Philip, Hey, Philip, where can we get bread to feed enough people that would possibly fill a small arena? So Jesus doing it. So Jesus was testing Philip. But Philip on the test. Why does Philip fail the test? Because Philip's responses would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread <coughs> for each one to have a bite. So what Philip is saying is, we ain't got enough money to buy enough bread for these people to even get us a solitary bite. When Philip said, don't know how we're going to feed them, but I'm sure you do know how to feed them, Jesus, because we saw you turn our 75 gallons of water into wine. That's what Philip should have answered. So that's why Philip failed the test. But Andrew on the other hand, Andrew on the other hand, right? So let's look at this. So we're going to talk about Andrew. So that's verse 8 and 9. So another, which says another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon's Peter, Simon Peter's brother spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves, and two small fish, but how far will they go among so people? So Andrew on the other hand brought a boy who offered his five small barley loaves and two small fish, so let's talk about what these Five small barley loaves were actually. These were probably more than likely some sort of matza cracker. They weren't actually a loaf of bread that you could take and cut with a knife. They were crackers so that he could stack his fish on top of them. This was essentially this boy's bag lunch. So, we see that Andrew is again referred to as Simon Peter's brother. But if you notice, right, Andrew makes a similar mistake to Philip by assuming what was and was not possible for Jesus. This man they had already seen heal a boy that was sick from a great distance. This man they had seen heal a man had been lame from birth. And this meant they had seen turn 175 gallons of water into wine. So he had done all kinds of impossible things. But, yet, they could not get into their minds that Jesus would be able to feed a group of people large enough to fill up every seat, in a small arena. So Jesus already knew what he intended to do to feed the crowd. That's the thing that we need to get out of this. Jesus knew what he was gonna do. He was just making sure that his disciples understood what he was going to do. So we're going to pick up in verse 10 and go through verse 12. Which says, Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. Right? So at this point in time, Jesus took control of this situation, much like the head of a family or the host of a banquet. So he instructed the people to sit down. And so the fact that we're told there was much grass for them to sit down on confirms that the season was springtime, because this was before the heat of summer had burned all this grass up. Right? So John tells us that there were about 5,000 men present. 5,000 men. So which means that the total people fed that day were between ten thousand thirty thousand people so how do we get that big number from just being told five thousand men because the total five thousand men did not include the women and the children who would have been present so you factor in the fact that every man had a wife every man also probably had anywhere from three to four children so that puts us at a much better than what the conservative estimates are the conservative estimates say between ten and twenty thousand. So that means that each man only had a wife and three kids when it was probably more likely they had between three and four kids each along with a wife. So which you would put the estimate that closer to, 25,000, possibly even 30,000 people, including women and children, that Jesus fed with this miracle. (coughs) So, Jesus then took the bread, gave thanks, and he distributed, and he did the same with the fish. So, let's talk a little bit about how this miracle happened. Do we know how this bread, these five small pieces of crackers, and these two small fish were multiplied into enough to feed 25 to 30,000 people. No, we don't know that. We don't know the logistics of that, but we do know what Jesus did. Jesus gives thanks for this bread, and he gives thanks for these fish. Then he takes them, and he breaks them, and he gives them to his disciples with instructions to distribute them to the people as much as they wanted. So the only way this miracle happens is the disciples taking what Jesus has blessed and given to them and then distributing that out to the people. So if the disciples have hoarded this for themselves, they would have never been there. Would have never been the feeding of the 5,000 if the disciples had not taken the bread that Jesus blessed and had then given to them to use to bless others. There would not have been a feeding of 25 to 30,000 people. Gotta understand that, right? So, again, this is the fourth of Jesus' seven signs. So, now we're going to finish up this passage with the last three verses. So, that's going to be verses 13 through 15. So they, then, so, they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So here, what do we see here? We see that not only there was enough for everyone to eat to their fill. And that Jesus then instructed his disciples to collect these left over so that nothing would be wasted. And what happened, right? What happened? We see what 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 do we see happen, right? So it says So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. So, they gathered twelve baskets full of these leftovers. Right, so that's what happened. But what's the significance of there being twelve baskets full of these leftovers? There are twelve disciples, so that means there was a basket full of leftovers for each and every one of Jesus' disciples. State. When they thought, there's no possible way we can feed all these people. There's no possible way we can afford to feed all these people. And what they found out was that if they put their faith and trust in Jesus, there's always a way to do it. So the crowd then declares Jesus to be a great prophet right so we see that in verse 14 which is after the people saw the sign jesus performed they began to say assured this is the prophet who is to come into the world so how does this passage end it ends with this it it says jesus they intended to come and make him king by force withdrew again to a mountain by himself So, Jesus knew he perceived that they wanted to make him their king. Even if they had to do so by force. Why did they want to make him his king? Because, you see, Jesus had provided what Herod, the ruler of this region, had not been able to provide. He gave them sustenance, which was part of the duty of a good king, right? To provide sustenance for his people you see, Jesus didn't come to be a political owner. He didn't come to provide these people just with physical food to take care of their physical needs. That was great when he did it. Now they eat. But he eat. He actually came to be their spiritual leader, to be their spiritual savior, and their political leader, and their political savior, which was what they were looking for when they said, when they thought, and Jesus knew they were thinking, let's make him our king, because he's a better king, he's a better leader than Herod is, he's a better leader than the Romans are, because the Romans aren't giving us bread, the Romans aren't taking care of our things, Herod not taking care of our needs, but Jesus is. And so what we see about how Jesus dealt with this dangerous idea that make him our king, right? So that's how this verse ends, right? It's says he withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So Jesus quickly quenched... Dangerous idea that he be made their political leader. By drawing alone to the mountains, Jesus turned tail and ran. From something that was something that he was not intended. Something that wasn't part of God's plan for him. And that's something we should all you should all run from those things that are not part of God's plan for us and and we will pick up from here tomorrow when we discuss Jesus walking on the water which is the fifth of Jesus seven signs, and in order to prepare yourself for that Jesus you need to read tomorrow in order to be prepared to discuss this. You need to read first Samuel fourteen. You need to read John chapter seven, verses thirty one through fifty-three. You need to read Psalm one oh nine verses one through thirty one. And you need to read Proverbs fifteen verses five through seven. Again, if you have missed of our Through the Bible in One Year segments, or if you would like to read any of our version of the day segments or anything else that might interest you, visit UpstateChristian.com with Upstate Christian being all one word.